Okay, we are in today Numbers chapter 13, and we're going to be reading verses uh, 1 through 3. But before we do that, uh, every time we step into a new part of the story, we are in a, uh, a series called The Full Story. We're, we started in January, the first Sunday in January, in the beginning, and we're making our way through all of Scripture. Uh, and we're trying, not trying, we are thriving to understand the full story of God, starting in Genesis and then at the end of the year, ending in Revelation. And so every week we're overviewing uh, what we've read so far. If you, I would encourage you, if you'd like to follow along on our website, there's a reading plan where you can literally be reading together as a part of the story and joining in right now, this week, as we continue to plod our way through numbers and wander with the Israelites. But so far, we've talked about, we've seen the creation and fall in the first part. How we were designed with, how in the creation and fall, we were designed uh, in the image of God, and we all have dignity and value, and then from that, we see the fall, and man disobey God, and then we see right out of that, the promise. The promise to Abraham, and to Abraham's people, Abraham, and Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then we see this promise in the book of Genesis. Seems to me that the book of Genesis is all about this promise of blessing and curse. And from there, we follow the story into Egypt, and we see the deliverer, and we recognize that, that the, the story of Exodus is not just about being delivered from Egypt, from slavery, but being delivered to the very presence and protection and providence of God. And then for the last couple weeks, we've been in the guide, or some people would call it the law, all of the restrictions, all of the guidelines for God's people uh, that he created for them as a means of grace, as a grace for them to be in the presence of the holy and powerful God. And today we start the next part of this section called the wilderness. The people have been at Mount Sinai for an entire year, and this, in the book of Numbers, starts their journey from Mount Sinai towards the promised land. And we're going to be looking at this pivotal moment that the people have right before they're about to enter the promised land in Numbers chapter 13, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 3 and 25 through 33. And if you could, would you stand with me? For the reading of God's word. Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And then skipping ahead to verses 25 and 33. It says this. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel, from each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of, the, all of, the, them, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. And then verse 25. At the end of 40 days... They returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them 
and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negeb, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the, jo the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the man who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy, out, spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And, we, and, we, and so we seemed to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for the reminder that you are with us. Thank you for your word, your inerrant, perfect word that has authority. And right now, as we read this together, we pray, Lord, that we would receive it. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak. We pray that you would open up the eyes of our hearts and that you would illuminate your scriptures to each of us. Lord, we ask that you would help us to quiet the distractions. Many of us come into this space with all sorts of things on our minds, circumstances in our lives. I pray, God, that right now you would help us to unplug from all of those and to just have this singular supernatural focus on what you would say to us. That we would humble ourselves and listen to whatever you would say. I pray, Lord, that you would guard my mouth against anything that is not from you and of you. Be the filter, God. May you get the glory in all of this. We love you, we thank you, and we pray this together in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King. Amen. This morning, I titled this sermon, A Question. And the question is this, and this is what I'd like you to think about this morning. How are you going? It's not a typo. The G is not meant to be a D. I know we tend to say, how are you doing? But I'd like you to think about this question. How are you going? I have learned that this question is incredibly important, especially if you have little ones. And you're, maybe you're taking them somewhere. And how you go is incredibly important to the effectiveness and the experience of the trip. 
For example, if you're all going on a long trip, I would say over two or three hours, at least in my experience, my family is going to want to have some sort of screen in the car. Something to help my children um, not to want to um, kill each other or be killed by me. As you think about trips, as you think about places that you go, it's incredibly important to think about how you're going. This last Friday was uh, a fun day for me and my family. We, uh, well, I decided, well, the kids are off. I'm home watching the kids. It's taxis and my wife is at work. So I just decide we're going to go on an adventure. And so um, uh, I texted or talked to my buddy Sipe and I said, we're going to take the kids on an adventure. And I, and, I, and I have always wanted to, uh, with my children, catch a fish, like out of a river or out of some sort of body of water. I've never done it. Actually, to be honest, I've never taken my kids fishing. I don't even know how to fish. I don't even own fishing gear. So I figured I'm just going to ask the oldest guy I know. And... With the most wisdom I know, and I just said, hey, and I didn't ask him if he was experienced in fishing. I just said, hey, let's go fishing. You get, and I said, I don't have any stuff. He says, I'll take care of the stuff. So I pick him up Friday morning, and I, and I ask him, are you ready to go fishing? Where should we go? He says, I don't know. I don't know how to fish. <laughs> well, we went fishing, and, um, and then we had an incredible time. Um, but we didn't catch anything. As a matter of fact, I learned later on that we were fishing at the wrong time of the year, and if we had caught fish, which were supposed to be trout, that would have been illegal, because apparently it's not fishing season for trout, and apparently I'm supposed to have like a fishing license, which we had none of that. So it's probably a good thing that we didn't catch anything. But oftentimes as we think about how we, where we're going, and, we, and if you're like me, I just wanna go. I don't want to pack a lunch. I don't want to think about what we're supposed to wear. Let's just get in the car and go. And this question, I think, is incredibly important. As you think about where you're going in life, as you think about the, what, where God is calling you, as we think about this, we ask this question, how are we going? What is the posture and the preparation of our hearts for how we are going? And it seems to me as we look at this text here, this question is being asked of the people of Israel. God is telling them to go to the promised land, and we are asking this question, how is Israel going? What is their attitude? What is the attitude of their hearts as they prepare to go to the promised land? God has been leading them. If you've been reading through the book of Numbers, we know that God has been leading his people with his tabernacle and literally his very presence, his very cloud is leading the people and it says that they would get up and it would take off and the people would follow and then it would rest and they would invite God to lead them there and then they would just follow and it ends up right here at this border and they send out spies to go and spy out the land. To think about where God is leading them. If you actually, if you, as you go and read Deuteronomy, we're going to find out that this command to go and lead out the land was of the people because they were a little unsure about stepping into this promised land. 
And so they appoint these spies, 12 of them, one from every tribe, representing all of the people are represented, and they send them out for a report to go and look at the land and see, okay, how are you going? What do we expect? What do we need to do to prepare ourselves for what's in, ahead of us? And the spies come back, and they bring back this report. And in this report, it seems to me there are two types of going here. And the first is the ten spies, and I'd like to call these the howevers. The howevers. If you can, look at verse 27 here. As they come back, it says this. And they told him, Moses, and the people are all listening, anxious to hear about where they're going. It says, and they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. This is a good report. We are going to an awesome place where there's flourishing and opportunity and prosperity and blessing. The blessing that God promised. However, here's the however, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Enoch there. Enoch is a Hebrew word that says they had long necks. People would say they might be giants, possibly descendants of Goliath. So they have this, as they think about how they're going, they have this attitude of, it's great, but, however, I don't think we can do it. I don't know that we're qualified. I don't know that we're ready. I don't know that we're prepared. This seems foolish. And we have the howevers, but then we have on the other side of these two reports, we have what I'd like to call the overcomers. The overcomers. Look at what happens in verse 30. It says, but Caleb quieted the people. I imagine the people hear this report and they're starting to freak out. They're starting to think, oh man. We just left Egypt. We just got out of this. And now the, the promised land, we're going to go there and we're going to be back where we started. We're going to get annihilated and they start talking. You ever been in a group where there's like this negative energy? And it says that, that Caleb quieted the people before Moses and he said, let us go up at once. There's an immediacy an urgency to his tone, to his attitude, and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. For we are well able to overcome it. For him, there's this sense of adventure, there's this sense 
of urgency. There's this sense of confidence. And as I see these two men, I ask, or these two groups, the howevers and the overcomers, I ask myself, what is the difference here? What set them apart? Why do one group of men have, an, have a more of an overcoming attitude and the other have this? Is this about like these are Enneagram 8s and these are Enneagram 5s or whatever, like, like they have different personalities, or is there something more? It seems to me as we look at this, as we think about this, this isn't about just their personalities. As we see this, we know in this story, the heroes in the story are Caleb, and we're going to hear later on from a guy named Joshua. But it seems to me, as we look at this story and we ask this question, As we think about where God is leading us, as we think about what is in front of us, as we seek his face and think about our dreams and aspirations, I think all of us would say, I want to be an overcomer. I don't want to be a however. We ask ourselves, what is the difference? And it seems to me here, the difference is this. Overcomers don't see big obstacles. Overcomers see big opportunities for a big God. Overcomers see big opportunities for a big God. And we see this difference here between the howevers and the overcomers. First, what's the obstacle? As we continue in the narrative, look at verse 32. We're going to see this obstacle is very great. It says this. So they brought to the people of Israel, this is the however people, a bad report. Some translations would say an evil report or a false report or maybe we would even say a false witness. A bad report of the land that they had spied out saying the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, as so we seemed to them. There's this crippling fear and anxiety that they bought into, This attitude of fear and anxiousness. And where all of a sudden this report of of a land flowing with milk and honey is all of a sudden twisted into a land that will devour them. Do we see the bad report here? And actually if you look at this and you even see the way that they talk about this command... Whenever you read up into this point about the land, we always read that this was a land that the Lord will give you. This is a land that God in his graciousness will give to you. But as we read this, notice the, these ten spies, the, these however folks, refer to the land as the land that you sent us to. They remove God's gracious providence and promise. They start thinking about the obstacles, not about something that God has given to them, but they start thinking about those obstacles as things that they're sent to on their own. And so we see they even compare themselves to grasshoppers. You're so small. 
They're so overwhelmed. And so we see this overwhelmed by the details, overwhelmed by the bigness, overwhelmed by the threat, the very real threat of what they're being called into. But then look at Caleb and then enter in Joshua, the son of Nun. You can look at chapter 14, verses 6 through 9. There's some back and forth going on. The people get a little anxious. They appoint, they, they, they rebel. And then there's this moment in verse 6. It says, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. These two spies, Joshua and Caleb. We're going to get to follow Joshua in the coming weeks. And they were among those who had spied out the land, and they tore their clothes And said to the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. What is going on? How are we missing this? If the Lord, now hear this, this seems to me incredibly important to the difference in the attitude. It says, if the Lord delights in us, look at the change in the language, he, God, will bring us into the land and give grace, give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. And then a warning, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. For they are bread to us. We're not grasshoppers, they're bread to us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them, do not fall into anxiousness and worry. Do not be overwhelmed by the big obstacle. It's not on the screen here, but the next verse says, Then all the congregation said to stone them with with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the people of Israel. You see this moment. And here as we recognize, to me, the big difference here seems to me that Joshua and Caleb were deeply rooted in a sense of who their God was. That they remembered the God that provided the ten plagues for them to leave Egypt. That they remembered the God who parted the Red Sea so that they could walk across and vanquish their enemies. That they remembered the God who fed them manna. Miraculously, time and time again. So as they were thinking ahead of what was in front of them, they didn't see big obstacles because they remembered a big God. Because they remembered a powerful God. And so they were looking back, I imagine, and understanding that because God doesn't change, these same truths, these same promises are true for them in this moment. And so they don't see big obstacles, they see big opportunities for God, for the glory of God, glory to God alone. They see this. And it's so interesting here. In the story, it tells us that the people are so frustrated, they're so caught up in their anxiousness, that they're going to stone the two spies, Caleb and Joshua. And this actually relates to the law. 
the Ten Commandments that said you should not lie or bear false witness. And actually, in the law, in the guide, it would say that if you bore false witness, the punishment was death. And so they say they're lying. This is a bad report. They're bearing false witness, and they get ready to kill these brave, courageous men. And then what happens? God shows up. The glory of the Lord shows up. And if you follow the story, interestingly enough, this account leads to a punishment for the people. Because of their lack of trust, because of their lack of faith in remembering that the God of Egypt is the same God today, because of this distrust, God doesn't say, I'm going to leave you. But there is a punishment, and they're going to, as the Bible Project uh, video says, they're going to go on a really long camping trip. For 40 years. But if you read the story, these other 10 spies who gave the bad report, the bad false witness, we learn in the story that the Lord sends a plague and they all die because of this false witness. And so as we read this story, it is a cautionary tale. Of who do you trust? As you think about where God is leading you, as you think about this story, and this story is for us. This is an incredibly important story. You're going to see as you read through the Psalms, you're going to see in the New Testament that this story is constantly referred to. It's instructive to us today. And it's instructed to us as we ask this question, how does this story relate to my story? As we ask the question that I asked you at the beginning of this sermon, how are you going? How are you going? As you think about your aspirations and what you live for and where God is leading you, as you think about your, the attitude of your heart about where God is leading you and about what you're doing in life, let's ask together this question, how are you going? Let's take some inventory. And as you think about this, I think that there's three instructions, principles for us that relate to us today. And as we ask this question, my hope is that you would say, as I go, I go to win God's glory. I go to win God's glory. It can be easy as we think about where God leads us to miss this. It can be easy to think, I'm going to go and I'm going to win my glory. I'm going to go and I'm going to take this hill for my glory and my fame. And the story of scripture is not about my glory. It's about God's glory. In the Westminster Catechism it says, what is the chief end of man? In the Presbyterian denomination they would say, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It seems to me Joshua and Caleb had a taste of this. It seems to me as they thought about the land, it wasn't even just about taking the land. It was about restoring Eden, about being back 
in the land that God had promised in the design of walking and talking with Yahweh. And it was for his glory. And I think one of the problems for us as we read texts like this is as we think about where we're going, oftentimes we think about with a lens that is of this world. And unfortunately, this lens is empty and leaves us wanting more. As you think about what you're going to do with your life and what God's will is for your life, the world would tell you a narrative that is not about going and winning God's glory. That is not about going and making his name great. It's about going and conquering and the American dream of, of success and wealth and fame. I'm reminded of an interview from about 13 years ago with Tom Brady. We know him, the MVP, probably, I shouldn't say probably, the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm not excited about saying that, but I'll give that up. There was an interview on 60 Minutes where he was being interviewed about his drive to win. And in this interview, he was asked, what makes you keep wanting to go and win and work so hard? You're married to this supermodel. You have five at that point, Super Bowl, MVPs. I'll never forget his answer. He said this. I don't know. But he said, there's got to be something more. <laughs> I said, well, what is it that is more? And Tom Brady said, I wish I knew. To me, the something more is Eden, is the promise of God's presence, the gospel, the good news of what we're called into that we as Christians know. And this is what we're after. It seems to me Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to go there. This passage, he's, he's just exploding with conviction about this good news. And he uses the metaphor of running a race and running really hard and working really hard and training to go. And, and so it's not just something that is foolish. He, he understands that we're called to go into it. And he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. There's training. There's work that we do. They do it to receive a, parable, a perishable wreath, a trophy. But we, an imperishable, a timeless, beautiful gospel. So, Paul says, I do not run aimlessly without purpose or meaning. I do, not, I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. There's this call for God's people to go 
is a purpose of winning God's glory. But we've got to be careful here. Because oftentimes we think about, yes, this means I'm going to go and take this hill and do this thing. And we take off and we miss the point and the pace that God has called us to. If we read on in this story, if we read on in this narrative, you're going to see the people all of a sudden, they repent and they say, oh man, we messed up. All right, let's go then. Let's go to the promised land. And God says, no, there's a punishment here. You're going to spend 40 minutes wandering. Don't go. I'm not going with you. The ark is staying behind. Moses is staying behind. And the people, in their presumption, they go without God. And that does not go well. And this is important for us to think about as we think about where we are going. And we think about this question, how are you going? Because hear this. We don't just go to win God's glory. We go where God leads you. You must go where God leads you. And so how can you go where God leads you if you're not listening? If you're not reading his word and being in church and thinking that the question that you're maybe thinking right now, where am I going? How am I going? Listen. Listen to what he's speaking into you. Ask yourself. Where is God leading me? Say with the the wisdom of Proverbs that you are one who trusts in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, the howevers. In all your ways, acknowledge him, give him the glory, and he will do what? Make your paths straight. Believe this. Trust this. But listen to this also. We must not stop with just these two points. We must not just say, all right, let's go and let's win God's glory in Chowchilla. Let's go and go wherever God leads us because if we're being honest, our faith tends to be up and down. It tends to be we find ourselves naturally in the however area. And then God corrects us, he convicts us, and we find ourselves in some uncomfortable places where we find ourselves in the, I'm going to go and overcome. And this is the story, the, the story of God's people as we listen to the full story and we watch the full story, there's this constant coming back to God, constant being rebuked back into God and being corrected and disciplined, and this is our story. But the beauty of this side of the cross, the beauty as we ask this question of how are you going, we don't just go to win God's glory. We don't just go where God leads you. Hear this. We go in Christ alone. We go in Christ alone. And friends, this this is everything. Interestingly enough, if you remember, we were in Hebrews for quite some time in the fall. And if you ever are having a struggle with some Old Testament texts, oftentimes the best way to understand what's going on is to ask the Bible what it says about the Bible. And in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews talks about this exact story that we're looking at. And in Hebrews chapter 4, 
he writes about this. I would encourage you to read this whole text. It's, a, it's like eight sermons in itself. It's a wonderful connection of this story of the spies where we can understand that we are a part of this story, that the story is for us. But as you think about entering into where God leads you, I want you to see the posture here. Look at what he says. Let us, that's talking to the church, that's talking to all who put their faith in Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us therefore strive. This is work. This is training. This is discipleship. This is study. This is listening. This is action. This is taking steps. Let us strive. But look at the paradox here. To enter that rest. that right? Your translation say that? That rest. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience, distrust. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. As we think about where God, God is leading us, as you most likely feel a little untrained, as you might most likely feel fallen, as you struggle with your own sin in life, your own pride, whatever this may be, you go in the rest of Christ. And here's what the rest is. The reason why the rest, which is related to the promised land, the reason why we call it rest is because Christ has done everything. Because the ultimate issue is our sin from the fall. And we know that when the Son of God died on the cross for our sins, that was dealt with. Once and for all. And we know that when Christ resurrected, he now rules and reigns in our hearts. So as we think about where God is leading us, we declare with Augustine, 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 our heart is restless until it rests in you. We are a people who do work, who do strive, who do follow the leading of God, but we do so with a posture of trust. Let's say, I give this to you, God. And if you're in it, your purposes will continue to be accomplished. And so as you ask this question, how are you going, I would encourage you to understand the most important, significant piece to that question is that you are going in Christ and with Christ. Thinking back to my fishing story. We caught no fish. Tangled a whole bunch of lines. We made a big mess. But we had such incredible memories together. I have a picture of my friend Saif holding up a worm with my five children holding up live worms. That we will never forget. 
We will never forget being together. And so often we think about we must go on this adventure and have all these successes. And I think one of the most important things we miss is that we do this with God. We are in a relationship with him. We do it with him and he leads the way and we just trust in that. And that is a space and a posture of rest that is unlike any other posture. Christianity is different in this way. It is the only religion where instead of us going up a mountain to earn God's favor, to accomplish things, he comes down the mountain to us, and we rest in that. And as we ask this question, here's one final point I'd like to ask. In today's day and age, in this individualistic world, we tend to make this all about me. But we must read this as a part of a covenant community and ask this question, how are we going? How are we going? In the story of Israel, we know that God called them together places. And far too often, we're all going in different directions. And we need to be thinking here in Chowchilla, here in Cornerstone, here is God's covenant people that have been locally called together. Where is God leading us? And how are you called to be a part of the mission here at Cornerstone as a part of God's church? And it seems to me that the first thing that we must do is, is actually start asking each other, how are you going? As we're in small groups, not just say, hey, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? But actually asking, are you on mission? Are you going? How are you going and how can I join with what you're going into? There's so much opportunity. Because we remember Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, he came and said to them, he came and said to you, if you are a believer and a part of the church, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, hear this, here's that promise that we rest in, I am with you always to the end of the age. How are we going? Let's go together. Let's continue to be a church that says and listens to the Spirit of God and then runs after wherever he leads us. This has been my prayer for this year. My prayer feels really radical, maybe just for me. But it's that whenever someone from our church comes and says, Logan, I think that God is calling me to insert this, we say, yes. Oh, that's gonna cost a lot of money. Oh, we have no idea how to do that. Yes, let's join in. As you ask this question in your small group, you fill out a connect card and say, God has really put it on my heart to join in this going. We do it together and we say yes. And if God's in it, it will flourish and prosper to his glory. And the flourishing and prosper may be failure, but we're going to follow it. And so as you think about this, I encourage you, ask this question, 
how are you going? Would you pray with me? Jesus, in a few moments we get to sing of your power. That the same power that we read about in this Old Testament, this wonderful ancient text, is true for us today because we serve the same exact God. And yet, in that power, you've called us into places that we on our own do not belong. We are unqualified. We are unprepared. We are unready. But God... Those are just big obstacles for a big God. And they're big opportunities. I pray, God, that you would help us to see opportunity. I pray, God, that you would help us to step into places, dark places, knowing that we are given by your grace light. I pray, God, as we think about where we're going, that we recognize that the places that we're called to go is to share your good news of dead hearts, cold hearts, being brought to life by your gospel. I pray, God, that that is the thrust of how we go. And I pray, God, this morning for your people. I pray, God, this morning that we would each be encouraged and strengthened by this reminder today. I pray, God, that we would not be a people that constantly say, however, we would be a people that constantly say, if the Lord delights in us, he will give us this. Therefore, we will overcome in the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus by the power of his gospel. May we be a people that are not ashamed of that. Guide us and direct us and lead us, God, together. Show us what that looks like. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for this word today. In your name we pray. Amen.